quotation from the middle part of that long poem by Dan with the, the uh, religion as a mistress. Seek true religion. Oh, where? Marius, thinking her unhoused here and fled from us, seeks her at Rome. So that's Catholicism. There, because he doth know that she was there a thousand years ago. Krantz, to such brave loves, will not be enthralled, but loves her only who at Geneva is called religion. Calvinists. Plain, simple, sullen, young, contemptuous, yet unhandsome. Gryas stays still at home here. He's a member of the Church of England, obviously. He embraceth her whom his godfathers will tender to him. Careless Phrygius doth abhor all because all cannot be good, as one, knowing some women whores, dares marry none. Be busy to seek her. Believe me this. He's not of none nor worse that seeks the best. To adore or scorn an image or protest may all be bad. Doubt wisely. In strange way to stand inquiring right is not to stray. To sleep or run wrong is. On a huge hill, cragged and steep, truth stands. And he that will reach her about must and about must go. And what the hill's suddenness resists, when so. There are some plays that express religious doubt. This, of course, was dangerous. Anything that's said in public, um, it was liable to prosecution. Playwrights often got away with this, however, by presenting doubt as simply the attitude of one character, and he might be a wicked character. Or sometimes they got away with it by setting their plays in Catholic countries where unorthodox religious uh, opinions were only to be expected. Christians were supposed to believe that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But there are many revenge plays where heroes decide to take vigilante action because they think that the Lord has defaulted on payment. Thomas Kidd's The Spanish Tragedy, and you can see it on the right there, the avenging hero indicts heaven. Oh, sacred heavens, if this unhallowed deed, this inhuman and barbarous murder of my son shall unrevealed and unrevenged pass, how should we term your dealings to be just if you unjustly deal with those that in your justice trust? Now you can see his son is hanging up on the left. Cyril Turner's play, The Atheist's Tragedy, has an unjustly imprisoned man who is a sincere Christian, but he wrestles with his faith. Heaven, thy goodness doth command our punishments, but yet no further than the measure of our sins. How should they else be just? He sort of writhes in theological angst. He says things like, our afflictions do exceed our crimes. And he agonizes, Oh, my afflicted soul, how torment swells thy apprehension with profane conceit against the sacred justice of my God. Even Shakespeare, who, as I said, tended to be cautious, has a few um, 
few lines questioning God of this sort. In Macbeth, a whole family, including women and children, are slaughtered. And one character says, did heaven look on and would not take their part? The same sort of question being asked in the 20th century, where was God during the Holocaust? So in a time of exceptional religious upheaval and violence, some whole genres of literature were silenced. Some authors dared to write blasphemously, but they tended to be silenced. Some wrote cautiously about religious anxiety. And if you think that that poem by Dunn was fairly bold because he was considering various possible choices of religion, he never published it in his lifetime and probably couldn't have. And some writers found cunning ways to voice religious questioning, religious anguish, and religious doubt. On November the 5th, 1605, right during our decade, a group of Catholic revolutionaries who were frustrated at the discriminatory policies of the Protestant English government were arrested just as their explosives expert, Guy Fawkes, was about to light the match to a room full of gunpowder right under where the King of England and the Parliament were sitting. The Catholics... And this is the whole group of conspirators. You see Guy Fox is called Guido Fox to make him sound more Italian than evil, I think. <laughs> the Catholics were not the only domina- denomination to feel persecuted at this time. Three years after the gunpowder plot, a group of uh, English separatist Puritans took off for Amsterdam because they felt that they were being persecuted at home. So there you have the Catholics on one side and the sort of left-wing Protestants on the other side, both feeling persecuted. They went to Amsterdam. You can see here the house where they worshipped when they were in Amsterdam. A few, few years later, they would take off on the Mayflower for Massachusetts. The 16th century in England saw constant religious conflict and upheaval. During Henry VIII's reign in the early 16th century, England turned from Catholic to Protestant. The government seized all the church's vast land holdings at that time. They abolished monasteries. They blew up Catholic parish churches with gunpowder. And then they wondered where the Catholics got the gunpowder idea later on. They executed dissidents like Sir Thomas More. Every church in the land had to use the same order of service. The veneration of local saints was abolished. Going to Mass was illegal. Statues of the Virgin Mary were pulled down, and religious murals on the walls of churches were whitewashed over, just as Charlotte was talking about. But then Henry VIII died. His son became king, was another Protestant king, didn't live very long. And then Henry VIII's daughter, Mary, became queen. And Mary was a Catholic. Her nickname was Bloody. She turned the country back to Catholicism. The statues of the Virgin were dug up from people's gardens where they'd been hidden. The whitewash was scoured off the walls, and Protestants were burned at the stake. 
Mary, however, died within six years, and England turned Protestant again. Down came the statues, up went the whitewash, priests were imprisoned, and the land of Catholic families was confiscated. You can see here the assumption that's at work is that the whole country has to be one denomination, the same denomination as the reigning monarch. This is not an age of religious toleration. It's certainly not an age of any separation of church and state. I want to talk to you today of the uh, impact on English literature of these upheavals in religion. The first thing that we will notice is that one whole genre of uh, drama was completely abolished. And that is that uh, during the late Middle Ages, there had been huge cycles of religious plays that were acted in cities throughout the realm. And they were acted on pageant wagons. So a wagon full of amateur actors would roll up and act out Noah's Ark or the miracle of the fishes and loaves. And the people would all line up, you know, sort of like students at homecoming waiting for the parade. And they would watch all day from 4 o'clock in the morning right through evening as the one after another. These wagons would roll up. The play would be acted sometimes with many sort of humorous touches, very lively plays. And then they did the whole cycle of the Bible from the creation to the crucifixion and the resurrection, the whole thing as much as they could get in. These plays were still being acted in the 1560s, would have been acted in Shakespeare's youth. He might have seen them. He might have been one of those kids sitting on the curb waiting for the pageant wagons to roll up. But during Elizabeth's reign, these plays gradually came to seem like relics of Catholicism. And finally, they were abolished by statute. Interesting thing that happened after this, and this made me think of something you said, Charlotte, um, after the religious plays were abolished, playwrights got very nervous about writing about religion. Just as you were saying, artists no longer had incentive to paint religious paintings. And so there was this great flowering of secular plays, and we now remember this as the golden age of English drama, partly it was a golden age of secular drama because the religious drama was too dangerous. Plays all during this period were strictly censored on political and religious grounds, and of course there wasn't too much difference in those days between political and religious grounds. During the decade that we're studying, there was a blasphemy law um, that was promulgated, making it illegal to use the words God, Jesus, or Christ on stage. So if you look at Shakespeare's works, the earlier plays sometimes do use these words. So in Henry IV, there's a highway robbery, and the people being robbed cry out, Jesus, bless us. But by the time of King Lear, you no longer could say the word Jesus on stage. And so they used words like the gods. Reminds me of my mother who would never, never, ever swear and use the word God in a swear. But... Uh, she would say, ye gods. That was an oath she considered all right. Well, that would have been all right in Shakespeare's time, too. So here's King Lear, and this play is full of uh, wonderful lines like, as flies to wanton boys are we to the gods. They kill us for their sport. Also, the writers of this period, when they wanted to talk about God, they would say heaven, 
or sometimes the heavens. Shakespeare himself tended to respond to this kind of religious repression by very cautiously tiptoeing around religion. So the ghost of Hamlet's father, you recall, arrives from purgatory. Purgatory had been abolished by Protestantism as a concept, but this isn't made too much of an issue in the play. We know that he's down there suffering. Hamlet also has been a student. Remember where he's been doing his uh, university work? Wittenberg, Luther's city. But, of course, that's never mentioned in the play, that the most famous resident of Hamlet's city is Martin Luther. When Hamlet contemplates the afterlife, when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, one thing he doesn't do is say, I wonder if I'll go to heaven or hell or purgatory. He says very neutrally that he wonders what dreams may come. That's very typical of Shakespeare, to sort of evade and sidestep. Some authors lived more dangerously. Christopher Marlowe, for example, wrote a violently anti-Catholic play, which a number of us read aloud the other night, to much mirth, I'm afraid. (laughs) Uh, We weren't laughing at the anti-Catholicism, but simply at its extreme blatancy. Um, It was a play about the massacre of French Protestants, and the Catholics are just some unbelievably dark villains. In other plays by Christopher Marlowe, a swashbuckling conqueror dares the gods to battle and burns the Koran. A doctor of divinity sells his soul to the devil. A homosexual king has a bishop doused in ditch water. And one of Marlowe's plays reveals as hypocrites and villains its entire cast consisting of Jews, Christians, and Muslims, all villains. Marlowe also was accused of making blasphemous public statements. An informer swore out an affidavit that he had heard Marlowe in local taverns saying things like, Christ was a bastard and his mother unchaste. The woman of Samaria and her sister were whores and Christ knew them dishonestly. St. John the Evangelist was bedfellow to Christ and he used him as the sinners of Sodom. Religion was invented to keep men in awe, that is, to frighten them into submission. Finally, after all this, when he was already in trouble for this, some literature was discovered in his living quarters denying the divinity of Christ, and Marlowe was arrested. While he was awaiting trial, Marlowe was drinking with some friends in a waterfront tavern, and he was murdered. As, we, as was discovered centuries later, in fact, not until the 20th century, two of the people who were with him that night were spies and agents in the employ of the government. So Marlowe lived dangerously indeed. Then there was John Donne, who penned deliciously sexy poems and then became a clergyman. He doesn't look much like a clergyman in that particular picture, if you, if you want my opinion. Dunn also converted from Catholicism to Protestantism, and he wrote about the anguish of such choices. In his poem of religion, he imagines a series of men with hypothetical names, like Mirius and Krantz, 
each pursuing a religious denomination as if it were a mistress. He considers this quest extremely urgent, and so did everyone, because there was a belief at this time that if you chose the wrong denomination, you were likely to go to hell. 